Amen. Oh, it's Mother's Day, and happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. I mean, does anyone out there think that the moms are awesome, that they're amazing, incredible, that they're wonderful, that they're special? I I want all the moms to remain seated, and everybody that's not a mom to get on your feet. That means you stand up, and let's give them some praise for what they do. Thanks, moms. Thank you. What you do, it matters. Good job. Amen. Amen. Happy, happy Mother's Day. Okay, since April the 23rd, we've been in a, in a series called Family Matters, and it, it's been a, a really good ride so far. And week one, we said that when it comes to the family and what they should look like and how each member should live out their role, we said that we begin with God and with God's word. Because when it comes to the family, when it comes to your family, God and his word is the ultimate authority. And we also said that we begin with a, a shift in our mindset uh, that we're, we call mutual submission. Where everybody in the family says, hey, you know what, I'm here for you. Now, I'm going to lay down my wants and, and my needs. I'm here for your benefit. You know, what can I do to help? I'm looking out for you. I'm not looking out for myself. And then in week two, we talked about seven ingredients that if you will put them into your family, they work every time. They're the chocolate and the sugar ingredients to a great family. And those ingredients are simply these, this, acceptance, attention, appreciation, adjustment, affection, amnesty, and Almighty God. And, and I'm just going to ask, you know the answer, and God knows the answer. Through the last several weeks, have you been working at putting these ingredients into your marriage, and into your family relationships. If not, why not? And just start now, right? If you put them in, they work every time, guaranteed. And and always remember that the most important thing that you can do for your family, right, is to walk closer to God. That's it. Don't skip that one. That's step number one. And then last week, we talked about singleness and finding your soulmate. And in that conversation, we, we looked at Samson's family, and we Discover some of the do's and don'ts when you're looking for your soulmate. And we also, in this conversation, uh, we, we talked about singleness and about how being single, it's not a curse. And it, it doesn't make you less than a person. It, it doesn't make you half a person or less of a Jesus follower. And we saw, in fact, that both Jesus and the New Testament lifts up, lifts up the value of singleness as something that is good, as something that is a gift, as something that can portray the gospel in a very powerful and unique way. And the bottom line last week was that it's not whether you're married or not married that matters. What matters is whether or not you are living out your singleness or marriedness to and for the glory of God. Get it? Good. And today, Mother's Day 2017, it's my privilege and honor in a conversation called Hannah, A Mom's Desperate Prayer, to talk about a pretty awesome mom who is a model and example, not just to the moms in this room, but actually to any person in this room who wants to live a godly life. Her story is recorded in the first two chapters of the book of 1 Samuel. And listen, not only did Hannah pray a desperate prayer, but she lived in a a desperate time. She lived in that, that period of time between when Joshua conquered the promised land, settling the people there, and Israel getting their first king, a a 300-year period that the book of Judges summarizes in the very last verse of that book. 
in chapter 21, in those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Now, Hannah's story takes place near the final years of that period. And here's how I I want to attack our conversation this morning. By, By walking through her story. Pretty much verse by verse. And as we do, we're going to pull out several lessons and truths about living a godly life. So if you have your Bibles, opening up the first Samuel chapter one, if you have a Bible app, open it up because like I said, we're just going to walk through this scripture narrative. That's a story of a, of a desperate mom who, who prayed a desperate prayer. Because one thing we know is that even on this day, when we pause to celebrate the joy of motherhood, we still know without any doubt whatsoever that when it comes to desperation, moms get it. Yeah, moms know what it's like to feel worn out and to feel helpless and to feel uncertain and inadequate. I mean, there's endless crying and sleepless nights and there's nonstop messes and the questions and the, and the discipline and, and, the, and the testing of boundaries and the, and the raging hormones. And there's this, this simultaneous begging for the day that they will grow up and move out while at the same time hoping that they never grow up and move out and that they stay young forever. Yes, it's a blessing to be a mom, but it's a blessing that oftentimes means being pushed to your physical, mental, and emotional limits. It's, some, it's sometimes feeling so alone and then sometimes wishing that you could be alone for just a few minutes of the day. It's doing everything you possibly can to raise your kids well, but knowing that there's just a lot that you don't control. It's the desperation of, of wanting your children to make the right decisions, but knowing that you don't get to make those decisions for them. It's the endless comparisons that you know you're not supposed to do, but you just can't help yourself. Can anybody say Facebook, right? It's the feelings of inadequacy. We're giving your best. You really are. I mean, you're giving it everything you have, but there's this nagging sense at the end of the day that it just wasn't enough. Yes, being a mom is all those things and more. And then it's getting up and doing it all over again the very next day. Yes, there can be a lot of desperation in motherhood. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, we meet Hannah. Now, now she's not a, a mother yet, and that's part of her desperation. She, she wants so bad to be a mom. Okay, let's do this. Family Matters Week 4, Hannah, A Mom's Desperate Prayer. And, and listen, as we look at these first two chapters of God's Word that is alive and active, right? And if you lean into it today, you'll hear God speak, right? right? It's not my words, it's God's Word, and it's powerful. It has authority. It's alive. As we look at these First two chapters, we're going to find five traits or characteristics of a, of a godly mom. Remember, like I said earlier, these five traits apply to anyone who wants to live a godly life. Let's pray, and then we'll jump right into it. God, we love you. And God, I, I pray that your face is really all we seek, because God, you are beautiful. And God, I, I pray that we will surrender our hearts and minds to you. All of us are different places. There are moms in this room, dads, kids, grandmas, Lord. But we're all your people. We're all part of your family. 
And we all fall under the umbrella of your word. And so, God, I pray your word comes alive. Holy Spirit, you know exactly what every single person needs to hear. Because you know their hearts. You know their circumstances. You know their dreams and their hurts. And I trust that you will do it. If only we would open our ears. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, the first point in your notes is that a godly mom experiences real problems. Now, as First Samuel opens up, we find out some things about this family. First Samuel, chapter one, verse one. There was a man named Elkanah who lived in Ramah in the region of Zoph in the hill country of Ephraim. He was the son of Joram, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zoph of Ephraim. That's some fun words, right? I listened to it like 35 times on the Bible app to try to pronounce it right, and I probably blew it, right? I can't say normal words right. Elkanah had two wives, Hannah and Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah did not. So, you know, right away, this family dynamic is a recipe for disaster, right? Now, what likely happened is Elkanah married Hannah. Hannah could not have children, so he decided to marry Peninnah so she could bear him children. And this is one of many examples in Scripture of polygamy. And sometimes people read in the Bible about polygamy and, and, and think that this, the Bible endorses polygamy. And that's not the case. Don't confuse examples of polygamy for an endorsement of polygamy. In fact, in every instance of Scripture, polygamy is, is presented to us as a horrible, bad idea. It always brings havoc to the families involved. Understand, God's plan was and is one man and one woman for life. And that is not reflected in polygamy. And again and again in Scripture, you just see all the problems that come along with it. So Hannah is in this difficult and desperate situation. She's struggling with infertility. Now, statistically, about one in six couples will struggle with infertility. Uh, after the age of 35, one in four couples will struggle with infertility. And according to one study, 63% of women who experienced both infertility and divorced, uh, they said that the emotional pain of infertility was much worse than the pain of the divorce. And another study uh, of women who experienced either a chronic illness or terminal disease, uh, they ranked the emotional pain of infertility at the same level of having a chronic illness or terminal disease. You see, there's a sense in which, as one Greek counselor explained, that when a, uh, when a person goes through a chronic illness or terminal disease, that, that they get support. But oftentimes, when people are struggling with infertility, others don't know about it. And those who do, don't, they underestimate the, the pain of the situation. And many times, they offer platitudes that, that make people feel worse about their situation than better about it. And, and not to take away from the struggle of infertility today, but in Hannah's context, it would have been even more difficult because there was a lot of pressure, social pressure, economic pressure on a woman even more so in that day to be a mom. It, it was considered to be her primary purpose for existence. And, and in fact, it, it was her most important role, not just for her family, but for society. And so as a result, in Hannah's day, a lot of people who could not have a child, they were looked upon as cursed by God. So there was judgment towards these people that God was punishing them for something that they had done. 
Now, what's interesting, if you were to make a list of the women in the Bible who struggle with infertility, you would find a list of very righteous women, like uh, Sarah, Abraham's wife, Rebecca, Isaac's wife, or Rachel, Jacob's wife, or Elizabeth, the mom of John the Baptist. Uh, Again, godly moms will experience real problems. Now, isn't that encouraging? (laughs) Listen, the way it should be. Because uh, I, I, I think too often people thinking, think, and moms in particular, think that if I have a problem in my life, it's because I must not be living in a godly way or I must not be a very good mom. And listen, that is a lie straight from the deceiving lips of Satan, the evil one. Get it? Good. Remember Jesus told us, right? In John 16, 33, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, for I've overcome the world. I understand throughout the Bible we see countless people who are, who are striving to follow God, striving to live godly lives, who face very real problems. Joseph, Moses, Joshua, Esther, David, Daniel, and here we have Hannah. Question, are there any moms... Any people, anyone in this room who is experiencing a problem. Uh, maybe the issue is not infertility, but maybe it's the, the desperation of, of failing health or a broken marriage or a rebellious child or strained finances or a fractured relationship. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Okay, back to First Samuel. Each year, Elkanah would travel to Shiloh, about a 20-mile journey, to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of heaven's armies at the tabernacle. The priests of the Lord at the time were the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas. Now, now this verse shows us something about Elkanah's walk with God. I mean, when the whole culture was going south spiritually, everybody doing what was right in his own eyes, Elkanah swam against that tide, and he took his family to worship. Now, now the last part of that verse says that Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, you know, they were basically the uh, associate pastors to their lead pastor, high priest, dad, Eli. And we know from the rest of Scripture that these guys were hypocrites at best and evil at worst. But listen, nothing would keep Elkanah for going to worship and sacrifice to his God. I understand, he could have said, hey, no one else is going. It's too far to travel. The services are too early, and, and I, don't, I don't like the pastors there. So I'm not going to offer any offering of sacrifice. But I understand, even though no one else was really worshiping or sacrificing to God, Elkanah made sure that his family did. As for me and my house, he said, Right? We will serve the Lord. One day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. Now, this was a a, a Thanksgiving sacrifice where the ones sacrificing were were allowed to eat part of what was not sacrificed to the Lord. And, and And it says that, Elkanah gave Hannah a, a double portion, and that phrase double portion literally means to show the face. 
See, Elkanah showed his face to her, indicating that she was worthy and that he cared deeply for her. You see, in that culture, to give guests a double portion was like giving them a supersized meal. Now, sure, it was difficult for Hannah to eat an offering associated with Thanksgiving when she probably wasn't feeling very thankful, but having a husband show that love probably helped out some. Again, Elkanah was striving to live for God, but he wasn't perfect. He had two wives, and which led to a divided family. Next verse, so Peninnah would provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. And the word provoke literally means to cause her to thunder. In other words, she was trying to tick her off, get her to blow her lid, right? And the word irritate means to stir up inwardly. Hey, Hannah, could you help me with my children? I have so many to take care of. Hey, Hannah, could you, could you help me change one of my children's diapers? Oh, oh, do you know even how to change diapers since you never had any children to begin with? Year after year, it was the same. Peninnah would taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle, and each time Hannah would reduce to tears and would not even eat. Verse 7 says, year after year, it was the same. Peninnah would taunt Hannah, and Hannah would become so upset she could not even eat. I mean, she was in such despair. And some of you know what that is, that she lost her appetite. And that's how upset she was. And that's a challenge, right? I mean, verse 7 really captures the heart of desperation. Year after year, year after year, it was the same. Here's an equation I put together for desperation. Pain plus time equals desperation. You know, it's okay at first. And you think, I can handle this for a while, but then as the years pass by and nothing changes, when year after year it's the same, desperation begins to set in. Now in verse 8, Hannah's husband, he tries to make her feel better. Why are you crying, Hannah? Why aren't you eating? Why be downhearted? Because you have no children. You have me. Isn't that better than having 10 sons? Now guys, he is making a lot of rookie mistakes here, right? I'm like, he's got two wives. He should have figured some of this stuff out. But he starts out by seeing his wife is upset, and he's telling her, don't be upset. Bad idea, guys, right? Like, don't do that. I mean, if your wife is telling you how she's feeling, don't say, oh, come on, babe. You should be feeling a different way. Trust me, that does not work. That is not effective husbanding. And then, then he tries to assume that, that he's a solution to her problem. Right? Like we would never do that, right? And he's like, hey, babe, come on. Look, you won the husband lottery, right? I mean, I mean, come on. You got me, right? What more could you possibly want? He's trying to make her feel better. And I think he's making her feel worse. And I think he's making her feel more alone, more isolated. Because she knows that he does not really understand where she is. And how desperate and empty she feels. Hannah's desperately empty and her husband can't fill her up. He can't do it. Maple Grove godly moms will experience real problems. Listen, following Jesus does not mean that you're going to be, you're going to be, what's the word I'm looking for? You're going to be, 
You're not going to have problems. I'm going to find that word someday. You're going to be exempt. Yes. I'm really messed up now. All right. I was so excited. If you're visiting, I apologize. But like, that's, it's such a good word. And it, like, it, it wouldn't come to me. Okay. <laughs> wow. Uh, that's funny. Uh, following Jesus does not mean you will be exempt from problems, right? It's probably going to mean you have more problems. Questions anyone out there facing a real problem? One that's making you feel a little bit desperate. And understand, having a problem doesn't mean that you're necessarily doing something wrong or, or that God is mad at you. You see, problems are just unfortunately a part of this broken and fallen world. It's not that you have problems. The key is, what are you going to do? And we're going to go with the problems that you have. Let's see what Hannah did. And we see that godly moms pray bold prayers. Once after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. And that phrase, got up, it's not talking about her changing her posture. That's not what it's talking about. It's not like, well, she's sitting down and now she got up. Because the Hebrew carries the idea that Hannah, that she, that she arose. That she had enough of living this way and now she was going to do something different. That, that she's going to try a, a different path, a, a different direction. You know, I, I think a few people in this room like Hannah need to get up. So she got up. And she goes to pray and she prays this desperate prayer. And understand, it's the prayer that you can only pray when you've tried things your way and they haven't worked. When you've attempted to fix things on your own and it only got messier. It's the kind of prayer that you pray when you've ignored things for so long and now it's just falling apart all around you. It's the kind of prayer that you pray maybe after wallowing in it for so long, but then you just reach a point Year after year, it's the same. You reach a point where you know that you got to do something different. So what do you do? You get up and you go to God. Uh, Understand, one of the things that is consistently true is that oftentimes people only turn to God when they have nowhere else to turn. And that's not a bad thing. In fact, it's a very good thing. I mean, any time we turn to God is a good thing, right? So stop beating yourself up about waiting so long and simply be in his presence. Amen? After all, he's a loving father. He's a good, good father who longs to give good gifts to his children. Now, understand, God the Father is not going to say, okay, yeah, now you want my help. Now you come crawling to me. He's not going to say that. He's going to see your desperation. He's going to hear your cry, and he will respond. Now, Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you'll only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant and, and give her a son, then I'll give him to you all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. She said, if you give me a child, Lord, I'll, I'll give him to you. And when you read that at first, it, you, you kind of think like she's negotiating, right? God, if you do this, then, then I'll do this for you. But understand, our God doesn't negotiate. He's not a negotiator. He's a giver, not a negotiator. Listen, you cannot negotiate with somebody who <laughs> doesn't need anything from you. 
Like you don't have anything that he needs. And so when she's talking to God, this is not a negotiation. Instead, what you have here is surrender. Did you hear that? Surrender. Understand in the midst of a real problem and desperation, Hannah is saying, Lord, I, I give him to you. Lord, I, I've been asking and asking for a child for me. But now I'm asking for a child for you. Big difference. Big difference. And listen, our desperation, your desperation, should lead us to that same place, to that place of surrender. In the midst of our problem, in the midst of our desperation, Lord, I've been asking and asking for my way, for my will, for what I want. I've been asking for me in this painful situation. But God, now I'm asking for your way, for your will. I'm asking for you. Now, there's a couple things in Hannah's prayer of desperation that are worth Noting, number one, in her desperation, he looks to God. She calls out to him as the Lord Almighty. In the Hebrew, it's literally the Lord of heaven's armies. She's recognizing God's power and control. She's recognizing the reality of her situation, that she cannot do anything about it, but God can. That she can't, but he can. She recognizes his power and his strength. In the very next verse, she recognizes that God sees her. Lord Almighty, if you only look on your servant's misery and remember me. Man, I love this prayer. Because Hannah, somewhere along the line, she learns the quality about God that sometimes it's hard for us to really grasp that, that not only is God all powerful, but God is all loving. That he's a God of the universe who holds the world in his hands, but he knows when a single hair falls from your head. That he stores all your tears of sorrow in a bottle. And this mom-to-be, she understands this quality about God. So in her desperation, she cries out to God knowing that he has both the power and the heart to do something. Godly moms experience real problems. They pray both prayers and they trust in God's provision. As she was praying to the Lord, Eli watching her, seeing her lips moving but hearing no sound, he thought she had been drinking. Remember, it was a pretty evil time. Probably happened a lot. A bunch of drunks coming to the temple. Must you come here drunk, he demanded? Throw away your wine. Oh, no, sir. She replied, I haven't been drinking wine or anything stronger, but I'm very discouraged. And I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. Don't think I'm a wicked woman, for I've been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. In that case, Eli said, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant the request you have asked of him. She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went away and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning, they arose in worship before the Lord, then went back to their home in Ramah. You know what phrase really hit me? Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. I love it. I'm inspired by it. I'm challenged by it. I mean, her circumstances haven't changed. She still doesn't have a child. Penina, it will no doubt still taunt her. But after spending time in prayer, her face was no longer downcast because she had poured her heart out to God and left her concerns with the Lord who can do anything. And she experienced a peace beyond understanding. Understand, when you wrestle with God in prayer, when you meet with the one for whom all things are possible, that alone is enough to bring you peace. Amen? Paul said, do not be anxious about anything, 
But in every situation, even the one you're in right now, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, because he's a good, good father, present your request to God and the peace of God, which which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Peter said, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand. Hannah did that. That he may lift you up in due time, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And David sang, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. Cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. Hannah experienced a real problem. Prayed a bold prayer, trusted God's provision. And guess what? God showed up. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, I asked the Lord for him. Samuel means heard of God. When her husband, Elkanah, went out with his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fill her vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, after the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and we will live there always. Do what seems right to you, her husband, Elkanah, told her. Stay here until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman stayed at home. And nursed her son until he was weaned. Again, she prayed a bold prayer because she was facing a real problem. And she trusted in God's provision. And God showed up. And guess what? God still shows up. This week I posted on, on Facebook, Moms, have you ever experienced a difficult and desperate moment as a mom? And you cried out to God and he showed up. Hashtag give him praise. Angie Waring, one of my neighbors from way back in Florida, wrote... I would have to say my child's health. My son has autism and a rare heart condition. We went through one open heart surgery already. Most stressful thing ever. He will need a second surgery. We don't know when his condition will just go downhill. And that is when it will be time. With his autism, we battle many obstacles. I'm constantly asking God for guidance in situations. And he provides every time. As for my my monkey's heart, he got through the first surgery. When it's time, I have faith that he will guide us and take care of my monkey through the second surgery, Andrew Waring. Chrissy Parker writes, after years of infertility struggles and many miscarriages, throughout which I cried out to God constantly, God answered during my last pregnancy with medical answers and solutions, as well as a calm peace in my spirit that my pregnancy would be successful. He blessed me with Madison. A good friend of mine from Georgia, whose son Justin was killed tragically many years ago in a car accident, wrote, when I lost my son, I was wailing at God, and I told him, I lost my son. He clearly told me back, I lost my son too. It reminded me he knew how I felt. I've also seen how God has used this horrible experience for the good. And Shelley Acasello, many of you know, wrote, Kinley was born at 23 weeks gestation and spent just over three months in the hospital. I remember several times, especially in the first month or so, just breaking down and wondering if we were ever going to get to bring her home. She was born a week before Mother's Day. Her first Mother's Day, a bunch of us gathered in NICU and prayed with her. But she turned five on May 2nd. She will start kindergarten in August. And you can hardly tell now that she had such a huge mountain to climb the moment that she was born. I can't honestly say that I felt like she would make it to this point at every step of the way, but I do know that I had a calmness about me that can only come from God. Not being able to care even for the most basic needs like changing a diaper was one of the toughest things I've ever had to endure. But she grew and got stronger and is now a healthy, happy five-year-old. Without the peace that God provides in situations like these, I'm sure my life, my marriage, and possibly even Kinley's life would be so much different. 
Desperate time, she prayed, God showed up. Here's some pictures that she showed me. This is little Kenley in NICU. Here's another picture. See just how small she was, so delicate. And, he, and here's, uh, here's another picture of when she finally got to hold her daughter for the first time. And here is her now. God showed up. That's what he does. That's who he is. And next, godly moms excel in keeping their promises. After he was weaned, maybe three to six years old, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old boy, a basket of flour and skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli. And she said to him, pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life, he'll be given over to the Lord. And he, Samuel, worshiped the Lord there. You're back in chapter 11, chapter 1, verse 11. Hannah made a promise that if you give me a son, I will give that child back to you. And Hannah kept her promise. Now imagine for a moment that you've never been able to have a child and you finally have a child. And then you have to give that child, your only child, right, over to the Lord completely for a service. That had to be extremely hard for her to do. Yet Hannah knew that the Lord had heard her prayer. She knew that the God had kept his promise, and she would do the same. Understand, you and I, we glorify God and really enter his presence when we keep our promises Psalm 15 says this, Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary, who may live on your holy hill, he who keeps his oath even when it hurts, right? Even when I'd rather do something else. Even when something else is more fun or more convenient. And understand, the goal of every parent should be to raise your children to trust in the Lord and to serve them with all their hearts, even if it requires sacrifice. And I guarantee It will require time and money and inconvenience to make sure that your children are completely sold out to the Lord. During my studies, I came across something a friend of mine uh, wrote about parenting. He said, to secure our children's faith is the most important role we have as parents. I think we all would agree as parents. As a youth minister, I was amazed with the Parents who went to great lengths to help their children succeed in baseball, band, gymnastics, dance, and soccer. No drive was too far. No cost was too extravagant. Yet these same parents would be cavalier regarding their children's spiritual foundation. Jesus reminds us, what does it profit me to gain the whole world and lose my soul? Let me put it another way. What does it matter if your child plays first string, yet does not have Jesus first in his or her heart? All right? Not trying to dig on you. But just ask yourself, how much time, parents, I'm a parent, how much time are you spending devoting and making sure your children are growing their faith? What are you giving up to make sure that they're in church like Elkanah did? All right? Are you devoting any time? It's the most important thing. I guarantee you. It's the ultimate goal parent. John said it this way in his letter. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the Lord. And I tell you what, I, I got three older kids, a 33, a 30, and a 26. One was singing up here. I got two younger ones. And I tell you, I have no greater joy 
to the know that Chelsea and John and, and Leela as grown adults are walking. No, no greater joy. I don't care where they live, what they do, what they have, what they own. No greater joy than to know that they love the Lord with all their hearts. See, Hannah did the thing that was best for her son in the long run, though it was painful for her in the short run. But also she did something else pretty cool. Each year that his mother made him a robe and took it to him when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. Made by her own hands. And they're though separated by distance. Every time she put that robe on, you know, she, he was reminded of the love that his mother had for him. Following Hannah's story, we see that a godly mom explodes with praise for the Lord. Now, we don't have time to plunge the depths of Hannah's beautiful psalm of praise. This morning in my quiet time, I decided to dive in a little bit. Oh, my goodness. It's beautiful. And one thing I want to point out, one thing you won't see here is any point of sadness. I mean, she has just dropped off her son. And she's heading 20 miles away. No Facebook, right? She can't text him, right? She can't FaceTime him. She won't see him for another year. And, and here's, the, here's what she sings. And, and listen, this is what will happen when we get up and we go to God when we have real problems. Crying out in our desperation, trusting in his provision, keeping our promise. This is what happens. This is what explodes from our heart. My heart rejoices in the Lord. The Lord has made me strong. Now I have an answer for my enemies. I rejoice because you rescued me. No one is holy like the Lord. There's no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Stop acting so proud and haughty. Don't speak with such arrogance. For the Lord is the God who knows what you've done. He will judge your actions. The bow of the mighty is now broken, and those who stumbled are now strong. Those who were well-fed are now starving, and those who were starving are, are, are now full. Uh, the childless woman now has seven children. By the way, God's going to give her about five more down the road. And the woman with many children wastes away. The Lord gives death and life. He brings some down to the grave, but raises others up. The Lord makes some poor and others rich. He brings some down and lifts others up. He lifts the poor from the dust and the needy from the garbage dump. He sets them among princes, placing them in seats of honor. For all the earth is the Lord's, and he has set the world in order. He can do what he wants. If he says he's going to do this, he can do it because it's his world. He will protect the faithful ones. But the wicked will disappear in darkness. No one will succeed by strength alone. Moms, anybody with a problem? No one, not you. No one will succeed by your strength alone. Those who fight against the Lord, fight against his faithful ones, will be shattered. He thunders against them from heaven. The Lord judges throughout the earth. He gives power to his king. He increases the strength of his anointed one. Bursting with praise. She trusted God's provision. She cried out in her desperation. You know, we're about to wrap up. And as I was thinking through Hannah's story, one of the, the thoughts that crossed my mind was, what if God had answered her, her request the first time? What if the first time she said, God, give me a son, God would have said, yeah, sure. 
I think the story would have been completely different. Because I think Samuel may have grown up in a home where he was kind of like a, um, he was kind of like a pawn between Hannah and Peninnah. And chances are Hannah maybe would have put her, her hope in her son rather than her hope in her God. Yeah, I think a lot of things would have been different. You have to wonder, Samuel would have grown up the same way. But because God, in his timing, allowed things to unfold as they did, Samuel was raised up to serve the Lord. He was raised in the temple, and he grew up to become a great priest and a great leader for the nation of Israel. And in many ways, he, he was a forerunner for Christ because he delivered, he delivered God's people, and he got to anoint David the king, the line of the king, Jesus. And so God was working things together for good, even though Hannah couldn't see it at the time. But God was working because he's always working because that's who he is. And she put her trust and she put her hope in him. If you're here this morning and you need to pray a desperate prayer, this is the place to do it. This is a place to look to God. To, to, to look to God and be reminded of his power, to remind it of his strength, <clears throat> and to remind it of his love for you. A power and strength and love that's available for your life today. No one succeeds by their strength alone. We're going to sing a song about, I think Hannah would like this song because I think she would say, you know what, my soul feels pretty well now that I've wrestled with God because she knew that the one who, that the winds and the waves, right, still know his name. So we're going to sing a song. If you're here today and you need prayer, if you're, if you're a mom or anybody in a desperate situation, you, know, you can pray where you're at. God may lead you to pray up here. You know? And after the song, we always respond by taking communion. This God who loves you so much that he wants to be with you in your valleys and on the mountaintop. Would you stand and pray with me? Father God, we love you. And God, I pray for everyone in this room. I pray for me. God, I pray for those who year after year it's the same. And they're desperate. And God, maybe they've just been praying for them, for their way, for their will. And God, maybe today you move them to pray for your will and for your way. For your glory and for your purposes. God, lift up those who are low. And God, we love you. Thank you for caring about us. Thank you for Hannah. And God, thank you that you're always there. And that you love us deeply. In Jesus' name, amen.